For generations, Coney Island has been a must-see attraction for native New Yorkers and tourists alike. It's known for its beach, games of chance, hot dogs, and thrill rides, like the Cyclone Roller Coaster. But a new book takes readers on a Coney Island-inspired roller coaster ride of its own. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. The book is Zadie's Arcade, coming of age in Coney Island. It focuses on Jason, a 16-year-old who spends his summer working at his grandfather's Penny Arcade. Zadie's Arcade is penned by actor and author Andy Smith, who recently talked with him about his book and his own summer spent at the beachfront in southeast Brooklyn. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you currently reside in Canada, but you're from New York City. Where in New York City are you from? Yes, it's deep in the blood. I, uh, I grew up in early years in Stuyvesant Town in Manhattan. I always say I moved to the country. I moved to Queens, Glendale, Queens, went to Hunter College, and then uh, came back a little later in my 20s as well. Uh, finished up school there, um, yeah, but I'm uh, generally from Manhattan. So where does Coney Island fit in? On my mother's side, my grandfather owned or operated a penny arcade in Coney Island across the street from the Steeplechase Amusement Park and just under the Cyclone Roller Coaster. And as a kid, with my family, we'd go out to visit grandparents and spend time both on the beach and visiting my grandfather in his penny arcade and getting to play the the machines, getting to play the games and making change for people. So take us back to those years. Take us back to your childhood, spending time on Coney (laughs) Island. What was it like at the time? What years are we talking about? Well, um, I would say in the early 1960s was, for me, its golden era, if you will. And, um, you know, without exaggeration, there were thousands of people on the beach. There's the boardwalk with lots, which had lots of stores, and whether it was, uh, um, you know, a custard shop or a fortune teller or a bar or whatever that was. That was along the boardwalk, and um, the Penny Arcade itself was just a block away, about a half a block away. What were among your favorite games at that Penny Arcade? <laughs> well, I uh, I always loved pinball, and uh, ski ball was ski ball was fun as well. Um, there were other games that sort of were more of a curiosity or a novelty, like you could walk into a booth and record a 45 record, which I think was very popular, particularly in the Second World War, that soldiers would make records and send them to, you know, their girlfriends or boyfriends and um, that sort of thing. The protagonist in your book is a young man named Jason. He's 16 years old. He likes to play a game called the Western Showdown. Was that a real game? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was basically a cutout of a cowboy. And there was a, you know, a plastic gun in a holster by your, by your side. You'd be, you are, I don't know, five, six feet from this cutout. And he would say things like, okay, now draw, partner. And you draw the gun. Now try and fire it at me. And, you know, typically you would never win. You know, he'd always encourage you to drop another quarter in the slot to try and shoot him again. 
so now you did that a little <laughs> too well, which leads me to point out that you are an actor, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. How long have you been acting? I've been acting about 20 years and uh, started in community theater and have gotten into film and television, particularly up here in Canada with different series and uh, commercials and that sort of thing. Anything that we would know by name? Well, I, you know, I don't know how well you guys might know uh, Trailer Park Boys, but I was in one of their movies. Uh, it's a, it has been a very popular show in Canada. There were series that I believe um, there's a series on now called Digstown. I was in Black Harbor and other other shows. So what inspires an actor to write his own story like this? Aha, uh-huh, that's a great question. Um, well, for you know, for years these memories have sort of haunted me, and it um, it really is because of my partner, my girlfriend who is a writer, and said, you know, you have all of this. These vivid, vivid descriptions and memories up in your head. Why don't you get them down on paper? So it started that way. And uh, my particular challenge in writing was that I was, at first, trying to be very faithful, very faithful to the memory. And my girlfriend kept reminding me, no, 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 this is, this is fiction. You know, you could, you can say... Anything you want. You can have these characters do anything. And it, and it was a particular challenge to uh, free myself. It was like continually freeing myself of, oh, I don't, oh okay, my, my, my grandfather doesn't particularly have to, I don't have to be faithful to that. So what was your grandfather like in real life? <laughs> well, he was a very rough ru- Russian he uh, was kind of a no-nonsense guy. Uh, he would slam if, if a, uh, one of the machines, one of the pinball machines, had a problem. His first recourse was to give it a good slam, a good zets. That's how he fixed it first. He was, you know, he could be very sweet. I, I don't remember him uh, being around the house that much. I, I remember him continually working at the Penny Arcade long hours, you know, particularly in the season. That's that's what I remember him. Well, that's very similar to Jason's grandfather in the book. You write in the book that he takes yes, very little breaks from the arcade. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Let's talk about that word Zadie. Zadie means grandfather? Yes, it does. Yeah. You use many Yiddish expressions in the book. In fact, the book even includes a Yiddish glossary in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Now, we talked about your grandfather. What about your grandmother? What was your grandmother like in real life? Well, I remember her being... um, She was always on call. You know, she was... I don't remember her often leaving the kitchen. She was continually cooking and serving and cleaning up and... That was that seemed to be her life, and uh, she also, for for many years, took care of her mother, who um, she had thought was lost in the Second World War, in one of the concentration camps, and only later learned that she had survived, and so consequently, her mother came to live in this small apartment with my grandparents. It was a very very lively household. 
Thank you for sharing that story, and thank you for telling me that story was, in fact, a real story, because you include that story in the book, and I was going to ask you that, and what an amazing story that is. For many years, they thought she was dead. Yeah, yeah. She and, uh, she and uh, other members of the family, and incredibly, incredibly, in a very, very uh, innocent way, my grandmother was in a bakery one day, and a woman from the neighborhood happened to ask her what her last name was, which was Jacobowitz. And she said, well, I saw something in the Yiddish paper listing refugees from the war. And apparently they were at, I believe, um, Ellis Island. And so they went, and incredibly, they found, uh, they found her mother years and years later. And uh, as I say, she came to live with them. Yeah, you say they lived in a small apartment. How well do you remember that small apartment and staying there with them? Well, it's, you know, it's funny what, for me, it's funny what people remember. I remember things. I remember doilies on the table. I remember the particular cut glass uh, containers, the general tone of the paint, sort of a dull yellow paint um, those those types of memories, very tactile memories and memories that involve the senses. Your main character, Jason's grandmother, is a religious woman. Was that true of your grandmother as well? Um, you know, I wouldn't say, I would say that she, uh, she wasn't overly religious. She observed the basic tenets of the faith. And but while her husband was just, he was a worker. He was a secular, that, let's put it that way. He was a secular Jew. And um, I don't remember him having that much of a connection to the faith. Jason's grandfather tells Jason to pay attention to money. Was that a piece of advice your grandfather gave you? Oh, sure, sure. I, I would think that that was sort of a very popular um, bit of advice, whether it was grandparents or parents gave to their children, particularly in those times. So what else can you tell us about your protagonist, Jason? Well, um, for, for Jason, seeing and meeting this young woman, a classmate, is a very, very powerful experience for him, meeting Anna. And, um, you know, they were of different cultures. She, was, she is Italian. He was Jewish. Uh, he was fixated, by, you know, just riveted by her. He found her fascinating. He was um, he found inter- intellectually fascinating, and just her beauty was something he uh, he really relished. But she has a boyfriend and a not very nice one named Nunzio. Yes, yes, this is true. Yeah, Nunzio was, um, you know, he was being groomed. Um, to be part of the local uh, mafia crew, and um, he was uh, slightly older than them, and he was just, you know, generally a tough, macho guy. Did you experience mob connections firsthand while on Coney Island as a kid? You know, not so much. Um, I, You know, I guess I heard stories, but not so much there, but I did work at various restaurants while going to school and you know, one in one in Brooklyn Heights that seemed to have kind of a mafia connection. I remember Friday afternoons, the the local crew 
guys would come in, sit around a table. I remember they, they would never let me serve them. Uh, there was a, an older Italian waiter that would fawn over them. But uh, one fellow, in fact, would bring in, believe it or not, he would bring in a baseball bat. <laughs> and I think he used that, believe it or not, for collections that he that they made on Fridays. Should someone not cooperate? Mm. The book references friction between Italians and Jews. At one point, Nunzio calls Jason Jew boy. Did you experience yeah. that kind of friction growing up? I would say a little bit. You know, to be honest, I did that sort of just for the sake of drama. And um, I can remember it more so with uh, my father's generation. I can remember him wanting to join a, an athletic club and uh, them not admitting him because of him being Jewish. So you referenced that challenge of being able to let your imagination run wild and let these characters be something that's not necessarily so straight to the truth. So what was your writing process like? It was rather painful. Thank you for asking, George. <laughs> um, you know, I, as I say, I had these disparate memories, these separate memories, and the the process of bringing them together as almost like a quilt and creating a thread, you know, in terms of plot lines, particularly for each of the characters. That was very, I found that very, very challenged. And I would, you know, I would have to kind of percolate on that for days and weeks sometimes. Which character would you say was the hardest to realize? I think I would say in general the 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 female characters in general and particularly Anna his his girlfriend or hopeful hopefully his girlfriend what made that so challenging Well I just think writing in a woman's voice uh can be challenging for a male writer and um you know being true to that being faithful to that what do you think your Zadie would think of this book? <laughs> um, well, I guess deep down, deep down, he would be proud, but he probably would have some some uh, difficulties with some of the situations, you know, particularly the idea that he may have had a woman on the side, you know, that I, I, I don't know what his... I wouldn't want to be in the same room <laughs> when he learned that. Yeah, there are some family secrets in this book, right? Not necessarily real yes, family right. secrets, but Jason's family secrets. That's right. That's right. What was your favorite part of the book to write? Well, the, you know, there, um, you know, my description of the Penny Arcade itself and uh, some of the fight scenes were, were fun to write. And, you know, finding finding the language, the active language for that. Is there a section that you can read for us? I could read a little section when Jason spends the summer at his grandparents. And I could just read um, uh, just a, a couple of pages to you, if that's okay. Please. Yeah. So Jason didn't relish having to walk up three flights of stairs to his grandparents' apartment. While still panting for air, he knocked on their door. No one answered. Gee, they're supposed to be home. He knocked again. After a long wait, 
Jason could hear the shuffling of feet and the distinct sound of Zadie singing, Hi, bye, 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 bye. Jason smiled. When the door swung open, his grandfather was standing in his slippers, smiling at him. Hello, boy chick. Hi, Grandpa. Looking just over his grandfather's shoulder, Jason could see his grandmother, Yetta, praying in the kitchen, her head covered by a shawl. She lit two candles and then closed her eyes and began drawing little circles with her palms of her hands while she silently mumbled a prayer. Oblivious to this, Zadie leaned toward his grandson and said in a loud whisper, I bet you didn't know your grandmother was such a religious woman. Without missing a beat from under her shawl, his booby countered, Drop dead, Heuschel, and then continued on with her prayers for the Sabbath. Not missing a beat, Zadie turned to his grandson and said, No, have you eaten? Jason just shook his head. Come, Essen. So that's just a little bit there. Very reminiscent of maybe an experience between you and your grandparents? Well, truth be told, I stole it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I stole it from a friend, a musician friend of mine who was describing the first time he had ever uh, visited his grandparents uh. because they too also worked essentially around the clock at their little vegetable store, huh. fruit and vegetable stand. Did you make any lifelong friends while you were there on Coney Island? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I, I can't say that I did. No, I can't say that. After doing this book, Andy, is there anything that you didn't get to talk with your grandparents about when you were a kid that you wished you had, or any other memories you wished you made with them? Oh my goodness, George, that's a that touches my heart. Sure, sure. There, there. You know, just as I say, the 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 memory that I have is that my grandfather would. And and what the family described is that my grandfather would leave during the winter to go south. And there was a real mystery about where he went, if he was with anyone, was he with the boys, the guys, was you know, was he on his own? And if there was some way I I've actually tried to ask, you know, for me personally, I'm in my sixties, I've asked remaining relatives for the truth of that, you know, and sadly, someone, uh, an aunt of mine just recently passed away, and I tried to ask her as well, and it, she really wasn't very definitive about that. So there are, you know, there are, um, there are memories which I would like, which would be, it would be lovely if they were resolved and confirmed. Absent that makes for good material for a book, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my next project, this was about my mother's side of the family. My father's side of the family has its own story. And uh, I think I'm going to try and tackle that next. Can you give us a little taste of what that story is? Yes, I can. They, um, my great, great, great grandfather was a kosher butcher in London, England, in Whitechapel, the east end of London, where, and at the same time, that Jack the Ripper lurked. Wow. And 
behind their butcher shop, which was in a, a Jewish area of East, East End London. Uh, behind it was a building, a small building, which he converted into a theater so that visiting theater troops that would make a circuit, they would go to Amsterdam and London and Paris, etc., to put on plays. They would come and stay and put on plays. And one in particular was Jacob Adler, who's related to Stella Adler, the, the method take technique. And he became a very, very famous Yiddish actor when he moved to New York City. So this would be a story, hopefully, that intertwines my the, the kosher butcher's life and theater and uh, uh, Jack the Ripper wow. as well. That sounds like it's going to be one heck of a story. How's that? <laughs> so that so yeah, consider that challenge. <laughs> you know, people always talk about how um, Seinfeld uh, interweaves all of these plots, all these character plots. Well, that book and the book I just wrote are very much like that. The challenge of interweaving all these stories. Do you have any vision of seeing a story like Zadie's Arcade turned into a film or a miniseries or a TV show? Well, it's it would be yes. I you know it's a uh, a dream of mine. I think it's I think the story itself is vivid enough, visually you know compelling enough that uh, if someone wants to run with it, it would be it would make for a great feature. The Coney Island Boardwalk specifically calls to Jason in your book. After a hard day at work, he longed for the fresh air and boardwalk. If you close your eyes, can you remember what that was like for you? to experience that fresh air and walking on those planks? I can. I, what I, I, when you asked it, the very first thing I smelled was cotton candy and um, just the masses of people, the throngs of people jostling about. And, of course, um, not that far away is Nathan's, on the corner, you know, but this general smell of hot dogs and the heat, the heat of summer. Um, I can vividly remember an ice cream man trudging through the sand, catering to the thousands of, of New Yorkers, you know, hot, you know, wearing white, white clothing, hot as heck, and serving ice creams to people on the beach and just I my heart went out to him in that heat when was the last <laughs> time you were back on Coney Island I would think that was about 15 years ago and even while I was you know in if you will in my prime as a teenager you know Coney Island was changing in terms of neighborhood and upkeep and things like that so um, I know that I know that it has changed drastically, and also been developed in different ways. But I was, it's been a long time. You make several references to music in this book, and your main character Jason loves listening to music on the radio. How important was music to you growing up and your time on Coney Island? Music was essential. It was the uh, it was the rhythm of life. You know, I can remember 
the summers were marked by particular songs, whether it was dancing in the street, Martha and the Vandellas, or, you know, that, those types of songs. I played music and do play music. Uh, I played it for a long time. And so what I've done is I, every chapter begins with a little lyric from some song from the 1960s, hopefully with some reference to the chapter that it begins. So what do you want people most to take away from this book? What do you want them to feel after reading this book? I'd like them to, uh, if possible, I'd like them to realize that hopefully each of us have had some golden moments, and they may be just moments, but there are, there are uh, circumstances, events in time, which mark our lives. We may not be aware of it at the time, but there are moments that define us, that, you know, that uh, are signatures, you know, they, um, they're meaningful. And, they're, and I also would like people, there's a, I hope there's some heart to this book, some real heart, whether it's love of family, love of music, love of food, there's some heart to this what does it mean to you to be a native New Yorker, Andy, would you say, someone now living in Canada? What does it mean to you, though, to say I'm a native New Yorker? Well, it's a, um, a, a, there's some pride there in the sense of how, how much culture there is, how multicultural it is, um, the arts are, are very important there. There's a sense of we are stuck together. <laughs> We're in this together, whether we like it or not. And, you know, you see it on the street and uh, in family gatherings, in restaurants. I love New York. It's a fantastic place. Jason loses his grandfather in the book. How old were you when Yurizadi passed away? Um, I was also... Um, um, in, in my teens, I was probably about 15 years old. Profound impact on you, that passing? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, there was a sense of mystery to my grandfather in that because he was always working, it seemed, and he didn't really reveal himself. He wasn't emotionally available, if you will. Um, there, you know, I had an opportunity I remember walking him. He he had you know severe case of diabetes. I remember walking him when he was in a wheelchair. He had lost a leg, and I was just a young person um, walking him around a hospital. And he was gruff as could be, and real as could be. So you know, there's a sense of yes, if I could have spent more time with him, that would have been wonderful. Was there a Yiddish saying that you could hear him say over and over or something you remember specifically? I guess just, I gewalt. Oh, my God, I gewalt. So, Andy, is there another little stretch of the book that you can leave us with? Sure. Um, this is when um, Jason has just come to stay at his grandparents and he's waking up the next morning Opera music blared from the kitchen, and the acrid odor of Zadie's cigarettes hung heavily in the air. 
when Jason pulled the covers down, he was treated to an episode of the Three Stooges blasting away on the small black-and-white Sylvania TV by his feet. That's the moment Jason realized he was in for one long summer. With little grandma's next poke of her cane, Jason opened his eyes fully. He looked up only to see her stooped over him, staring down at him. Jason had never realized that she had a mustache. (laughs) Okay, little grandma, okay, good morning. She grunted and gave his blanketed leg another jab of her cane, her signal for him to move over. Okay, okay. Morning, sleepyhead, his Zadie bellowed, his stocky frame looming in the doorway. Harry took a drag from his ever-present cigarette. So, no, you got your beauty sleep. Jason chuckled and realized that there'd be no way he'd get back to sleep. So he flung the covers off him and stood up. Quickly realizing he was only wearing his pajama bottoms, he grabbed the nearest blanket and wrapped it around his body. Let's get the show on the road, Zadie barked. How much time do I have? Time? You need time, Zadie asked. By stepping in front of the TV, he was now blocking little grandma's view of the TV. Did Einstein need time? Get dressed, goddammit. Jason shook his head and waddled off to the bathroom, but not before catching sight of his little grandma swatting at Zadie's rear end with her cane. Andy Smith, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. The book is Zadie's Arcade, Coming of Age in Coney Island. You can find out more about Andy Smith on his website, andysmithonline.ca. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook book at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening.